You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe a difficult place, or perhaps even in a very lonely place, you've come to the right place. Pastor Richard will challenge and encourage you today with a Christmas season message of God's greatest gift, Emmanuel, the hope of the world, as we share the 25 Talks of Christmas all this month on Richard Ellis Talks. Now, a reminder that you can always listen to, download, and even share this or any talk with a friend right from the Advent calendar on the website, richardellistalks.com. So let's jump right in with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Dumb Priest, and I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 1. And it is amazing to me when I read the scriptures, sometimes, especially if you've known the scriptures a long time, or you've been in the Bible a lot, or you just kind of grew up with it, you forget that these are letters and stories, true stories, historical events that happened. But in this case of Luke, it was literally the story of Christ and the Gospels written down to one person. And let's read, pick up in verse 1. It says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Thank God for Theophilus. Because Luke sat down at some point, either in one sitting or for a while, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote all this stuff down with his own personality, with his own expressions, with as a doctor, Luke was a doctor, even some words and phrases that he used. And when you go back and look in ancient writings, Greek writers use these same phrases, literally other doctors use the same phrases. So they came maybe out of the same schools and would express themselves in the same way. But he writes the book of Luke, what we call the book of Luke, the story to give to Theophilus to say, here's the deal. Here's what happened. Here's how it went down. Here's what was going on. And this is what I've compiled within the Holy Spirit revealing through Luke and writing it down. And thank God we have it because it backs up. It's another confirmation from Luke's point of view of what really happened. So he says, I write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, verse 4, now look at this, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. I don't want you to have any doubt that down the road you'll remember what you were taught, but you're going to come back to this letter, to this document I've written you about this, and you'll be able to literally look at it and go, okay, I thought I was getting off base, but now I remember that's what Luke told me. And if it was just Luke, it'd be one thing. Matthew writes it from one perspective. John from another. Mark from another. Acts goes back and refers back to all these accounts. It's documented. It's there. Now, he starts in this story with Theophilus. And maybe not where you think he would start, but Luke starts with this. And it's just, it's a great story. And it's not just a story. It's his story. It is real. It is true. And it's documented here. And then verse 5, this is what he starts with. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, and Herod, just for information, ruled from about 37 to 4 B.C., King Herod. Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Now, I don't want to go off too far on this. Let me tell you something. Everybody is important. I don't care who you are, how obscure you are. You know, people drive by. I remember some research somebody did a while back, may have already referenced this at some point, that even a homeless person, a person who seems to live in absolute obscurity, they researched and followed somebody around and calculated that even an obscure homeless person impacts 13,000 people in their lifetime. 
that their life specifically hits that many people, even on the streets, just completely away from society, it seems, they have a huge impact. You are not nobody. And we're going to look at one guy's life today, a priest named Zacharias, and something that happened to him that's astounding as we go through this. The guy's name, the priest's name was Zacharias, of the division of Abijah, his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So a man named Zacharias is married to a woman named Elizabeth. He's a priest. He's from the tribe, the division of Abijah. And just a little background on this for the sake of those who like to know these things. He was a priest, the head of a priestly family from whom when David divided the priests into 24 classes, Abijah was the eighth order. So he is a part of this breakdown of the priests, and they're all separated out. So that's what he does for a living. He's a priest. His wife even, she's the daughter of Aaron. Aaron was the high priest of Israel and the head of the whole priestly order. So this guy is a priest. His wife comes from that kind of family. And this is his job. And you'll see what happens here. It gives you some background there in verse 5. Verse 6. Now listen to who these people were. They were both righteous before God. These were great people. And sometimes we assume, we think, well, the reason bad things happen to people is because they're really bad. They may look good, but they're really bad. Clearly the scripture here says these people, this guy was faithful. He was a priest. He's from a certain group of priests, Abijah, and he is righteous before God. Next statement, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. Righteous, blameless, these are good people. But back in the day, back in those days, if you did not produce children, then it was almost seen as a curse because children are a blessing from God. So if you didn't have any kids, it was not a good sign. It looked bad. And so they were faithful. But, you know, there's people who look around and go, well, they seem like really nice people, but there's probably some hidden sin there. They would have children. You know, that's how that works. So they don't have any kids, but they're righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child. Why? Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Now, I think that's one of the most tactful ways you could say somebody's old. So instead of telling someone they look really old, you seem to be well advanced in years. That's what the Bible would say. So there's this guy, he's older, she's older, she's barren, she hasn't had any children, and she's probably not having any children. Verse 8, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now guys, verses 8 and 9 are packed, so let's take a minute and let me show you what's going on. While he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division. Now there's 24 divisions. There are so many priests at this time. They've multiplied. They're everywhere. That the only way for them to do this job and to rotate is for them literally to draw lots. They would draw straws almost kind of thing. And whoever won got to go do this particular job. Now keep reading with me. It was that while he was serving as priest, so he's on the job at the temple in the order of his division, the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. All he's got to do is go in the temple and burn incense before the Lord. Now let me read you some historical background on this as well. The priests in each division were on duty twice a year for a week at a time. Zechariah was of this Abijah division. Zechariah was chosen by lot to be the priest who offered the incense. Because of the large number of priests, this would be the only time in Zechariah's life when he was allowed to perform this task. Once in his lifetime, he would be allowed to go and burn incense in the temple. 
This was it. Now, I don't know about you, and I've tried to come up with something like this. It's maybe kind of like a wedding. You know, there's events in your life when everybody gets dressed up and they all travel to some place and you got some award or some recognition and it's a huge family deal and nobody can miss it or they get excommunicated from the family. I mean, this is a huge thing in Zachariah and Elizabeth's life. He is once in a lifetime. He drew lots. He got chosen. He's going to the temple. He's going to burn incense in this temple before the Lord. And it also goes on to say that this is one point in time when the whole nation, literally, the incense for which Zechariah was responsible symbolized the prayers of the entire nation. And at that particular moment, Zechariah was thus the focal point of the entire Jewish nation. He's psyched up. He's excited. He shows up. He's got his robe thing all pressed and ready to go. He's clean. You know, it's his moment. Once in a lifetime shot to go in here and burn incense for the whole nation of Israel. His lot fell to burn the incense. He went to the temple of the Lord. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So Zachariah is in there by himself, probably burning this incense. And you'd think that was bizarre enough. But look what happens in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, I don't care how godly you are. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how long you've lived, what your background Wherever you are, if an angel shows up, it gets your attention. He is standing there trying to focus, do his job, his once-in-a-lifetime task of burning this incense, and an angel has to show up and confuse the whole thing. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And again, this guy is godly, blameless. He's done everything right. There are certain times, certain situations in life when I don't care who you are, you can get afraid. And an angel spooked Zacharias. Shows up, one angel standing there, and now he's afraid. Now look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. Why? For your prayer is heard. Now I don't know who this is for today. But some of you, and I almost hesitate to tell you this because some of my confusion sometimes is the same as yours. You pray, 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 and then your prayer never gets answered. It seems your prayer didn't get answered. And we have a prayer time and we share so-and-so sick and -and so-and-so is pregnant and pray for this baby and that baby. We pray and one baby gets well and we pray for another baby and that baby dies. Explain that to me. Did God answer our prayer? Obviously here, Zacharias has been praying for a long time. Look at this next phrase. Don't be afraid. Your prayer is heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And I've even got a name. You don't even have to go through all that nightmare trying to figure out what you're going to call him. You shall call his name John. You're going to have a baby. Your prayer has been answered. His one shot in the temple, burning incense, an angel shows up just to tell him he's going to have a baby. And I love how the angel starts it. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. You ever wonder if your prayer has been heard? Now see, some people die and never see the answer to their prayer, but it doesn't mean your prayer didn't get answered. You just left before it got answered, maybe. You think, God doesn't know who I am. God doesn't know where I am anymore. He's not listening to me. I've been praying this stupid prayer for 30 years. He's not going to answer my prayer. I'm done. I quit. And the Holy Spirit comes along and says, all right, don't quit. I'm listening. It's just not time yet. Guys, I don't even know how to begin to describe to you the awesomeness of God in his timing and what is happening here. You are dealing with a guy named Zacharias who has been faithful his whole life. And it just so happens that at this particular moment in time, he draws lots and ends up in the temple. He's in the temple. An angel appears at exactly the right time, says you're going to have a son. And in a minute, I'll show you something even more bizarre than all this. The angel goes on to say, 
Your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. And you will have, and he gives six things here at least, you will have joy and gladness. Man, I'm telling you, this is some good news. Joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. Everybody gets excited when babies are born. Let me tell you something. When this baby, John, is born, everybody's going to rejoice. And he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This kid's going to be known by God more than about anybody. This is a big deal, Zacharias. And he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He'll abstain from alcohol. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, people say, well, what's the big deal with that? Until Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead and left and sent the Holy Spirit back, the Holy Spirit would come upon people and then leave. He didn't come and fill people necessarily like he does today. So when the angel says, from the moment he is born, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, this is something they didn't see every day and experience every day. God was all over this baby and all in this baby, filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You're about to have some kind of baby, Zacharias. Now, you're standing there burning incense. An angel shows up, tells you not to be afraid. You're still afraid. Starts saying this amazing stuff. You're going to have a baby and all these great things about the baby. And what is the only thing that Zacharias can come back with? And Zacharias said to the angel, how will I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. You got to be kidding all he heard and all he was thinking was, I'm afraid and there's no way I'm an old man and maybe I could do my part, but there ain't nothing happening with her. This didn't happen. We are not going to have a baby. Now, I don't know if angels get ticked off or how this works, but something happens here in verse 19. And the angel answered and said to him, and he hadn't said this yet. Listen to these words. I am Gabriel. It's almost like, boy, you don't know who you're talking to. I am Gabriel. Now, who is Gabriel? Listen to how he describes this. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Now, guys, I'm not about angel worship, and some people get misguided and take off with that and make big deal about angels. Let me tell you something. This angel is a big deal. This angel, Gabriel, stands by the throne of God. And God said, Gabriel... Zacharias, I've heard his prayer. Timing is everything. He's in there burning incense. Now, get down there. Gabriel appears. Don't be afraid. Here's the deal. You're going to have a baby. Timing is everything. Now, in a minute, you'll see why timing is everything, how this all ties together. God does not do things randomly in the midst of chaos, absolute confusion, it seems. God comes along in your life, and timing can be absolutely everything. You've got to trust him. You say it's taken too long. Timing is everything. Wait on the Lord. It's coming. You've got to trust him. You've got no other options. So Zacharias hears now Gabriel say, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Who do you think sent him? I mean, what Zacharias is hearing, look, God sent me down here to tell you this. Don't be asking questions. You've got reason to have questions, but you've got to trust me. I mean, who do you think I am? Here I am standing here with you telling you these things. Now, he doesn't call him a dumb priest, but here's what happens to him. But behold, you will be mute. You will be dumb and not able to speak until the day these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. You didn't believe me. And now I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you. You won't be able to speak until it happens. So you'll know when it happens that I shut your mouth. And when it goes down, your mouth will get open again. And now you can speak. Guys, there is consequence to disbelief. 
And all your worrying won't change anything till the time comes. So you might as well thank him and praise him and trust him because it's not going to change anything anyway to get all bent out of shape about it. Trust him. Now, I'm not, again, sure how all these things go down with angels. I don't know how much latitude these angels have, but obviously Gabriel says, you know what? You mess with me, I mess with you. Now you can't speak. Now you're a dumb priest. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. He was supposed to go in there, burn his incense, and get out. He's been in there way too long. Verse 22, but when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. So he finished his run, his rotation there in Jerusalem, and he goes back to his house. Now, guys, there's something that happens somewhere in verse 23 and before verse 24. And I don't want to be tried about this, but there's a lot of babies that get made in the Bible. And there's only one way that I know of, at least back then, to make babies. And it is proof to me that this old man, and whether this old man and this old woman who was barren, whether they had stopped having intimate relations or not, I don't know. But this guy looks at this woman and says, you know what? Whether we have had sex or not, by faith, we are going to have sex because God told me we're going to have a son and I'm the father and you're the mom. That means you and I got to get together and let's see what God can do. After all these years of trying, now I don't have to go through this room and ask if you've ever tried to have a baby and couldn't. People spend tens of thousands of dollars with artificial insemination, everything they can, praying. Well, I won't even go into all the things you can try, but you know, there's a lot of things you can try to get pregnant. And now after all these years, Elizabeth praying and crying out to God, Zacharias seeing his wife is distraught, can't have any children, almost given up. And God says, I've heard your prayer. Gabriel sent down there to tell him you're going to have a son. This is his name. Do what I'm telling you to do. And somewhere in verse 23, somewhere in here, at the right time. Now, guys, even sex has time to it. Because this baby was to be conceived at a certain point in time, a certain time frame. And then let's get into that here in just a second. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, listen to how this affected Elizabeth. Thus, the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In other words, I was looked on by all these women, no kids. And now all of a sudden, God's blessed me with a child. I'm pregnant. So she goes away for five months. Now jump down to verse 35 with me, the same chapter. Elizabeth and Mary, the mother of Jesus, are cousins. And Gabriel, at a certain time and a certain place, shows up to Mary and said, now here's your deal. You're not getting pregnant by any Joseph or anybody you know. It's the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the child that will be conceived in your womb will be the son of the highest. And then we have that whole story we'll go into another day. But verse 35, let's pick up in that story. And the angel answered and said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is almost used as backup to encourage Mary to say, look as it goes on. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Now, you don't start showing till about when. When you're six months pregnant, somebody's going to tell you're pregnant, right? So now there's no speculation. If and when Mary spots Elizabeth six months pregnant, what is she going to say? You're not just talking about it. You are pregnant. She will visually build a spot and determine that she's pregnant. So the angel says, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son, even telling her the sex of the baby, in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren in verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. She was barren and is pregnant. You're a virgin. You're going to get pregnant. How is this possible? Because with God, nothing is impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
Now, what does Mary do almost immediately? Verse 39, now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. She says, okay, fine, let's go see if this is true. To the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy, leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So now Elizabeth is encouraging Mary, trust whatever he told you, it'll come to pass. And then Mary goes on with her prayer. Jump down to verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son, exactly like God said. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. So it would be Zacharias Jr. or whatever they would do back then. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. Say, well, she obviously doesn't get it. You can't call this name John. You know about your family named John. What do you say, dad? And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, praising God. He's not a dumb priest anymore. Then fear came on all who dwelt round of them, and all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea, and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Now listen to this daddy, after he realized that God had come through and answered his prayer, but this is not just some boy that was born in his house. This is some kind of son. And if you want to go back, you can read Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And I think Malachi 4, 5, and 6 also describe who John would be, this messenger that would come. But listen to his prayer here. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, verse 68, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us to the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. One man, one wife, one baby, one messenger, an angel, another messenger, a little boy named John. Now, I don't even know how to describe these things to you. As bizarre and impossible as it seems for God himself to place a sperm and an egg inside of a virgin's womb and the God of the universe be born from that. Now you've got God orchestrating an old man and an old woman being intimate and a certain sperm, a certain egg, a certain child in the spirit 
of Elijah, the lifestyle of Elijah. He would live out in the wilderness as Elijah did. The same kind of prophet from this tribe of priests, from this family of priests. Somehow God, before the foundation of the world, lays this stuff in place and it happens. And you say, well, what does that have to do with me? How'd you get here? And I hear terrible stories. People tell stories. Well, my mama was raped and that's how I got here. You know what? It doesn't matter how you got here. You're here. And I think sometimes we're trying too hard to live and not be home in heaven where we belong forever anyway. If you are still here, it is for a reason. One priest, one woman, one kid, and is used to prepare the way. You are making a way for somebody out there. It matters whether you make it. It matters that you pray. It matters that you hold on. Do not give up. It does make a difference. Thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We hope you're encouraged by Pastor Richard's unique way of challenging us to become more like Jesus, especially during this holiday season. You know, that's the goal of this program and the goal of Richard himself, to be God's hands, feet, and voice, to help us grow in our faith journey and to become a reflection of Jesus to our neighbors, our community, and the world. You know, when you open your heart and life to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that's the beginning point of the most amazing journey you'll ever experience. But it's also a journey that we want to join with you. So we'd love to hear from you, whether you've been on this faith road for a while or just getting started. The website is richardellistalks.com. There's a prayer wall to click on so you can share how we can come alongside you this holiday season. Also, during the 25 Talks of Christmas this month, it's a different holiday-themed program each and every day. So if you miss any previous Christmas talk, just click on the Daily Talks Advent Calendar to listen to, download, or share any of these Christmas talks. It's right there at richardellistalks.com. And finally, a quick reminder that you can automatically receive a direct text on your phone each and every morning that will link you to the most recent Christmas talk on the website. Simply text the word RICHARD to 855-6-RICHARD. That's the word RICHARD to our toll-free number 855-6-RICHARD. So, until the next of our 25 Talks of Christmas, we love you, We're praying for you, and we thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.